Uh, my name's Aaron, as you all heard, um, and uh, we're starting a new series today. I'm glad that you guys are with us here at the Christian Church of Estes Park. Here we are disciples of Jesus that build disciples of Jesus, and today we actually talk about exactly why that is, why it's so important. Our annual chili cook-off is coming up. It is on September 16th, and so it'll be after this service. The t- um, so we'll, we'll go up there, we'll set up, and officially we'll start at 1. And it's an opportunity for us to get to know and to meet our neighbors here in Meadowdale Hills and, and to serve them as well as uh, get to know the new students at the Ravencrest. Uh, it's a Bible college or a Bible school up here on Pole Hill on the other side of it. So they host it. Uh, we bring the food and the chili. So if you make good chili or even decent chili, passable chili, uh, we would love it for you would sign up for this. It's a friendly, fun competition that... Uh, uh, we get to do, and uh, I won last year, so you could sell that the bar is here. It's low. Uh, no, actually, we had some really good chili there. So bring it, bring your best. Um, if you don't make good chili, bring cornbread or cheese or sour cream or chips. Just don't bring chili if you make lousy chili. Okay, so uh, we invite you to come up, and if you want to register, let us know that you're coming. You can do that at our website, funchurch.com. And there you go. So those are the announcements. That's the announcements I'm going to hit today. The rest you can read about in your bulletin. And uh, we'll start our new series, the Book of Acts. And I'm pretty excited about that. The uh, reason that we chose to do the Book of Acts um, as a few months ago as we got together and prayed about and fasted and said, God, what do you have for our church this next year? One of the things that um, really impressed upon, I think, all of us was this concept that, um, that God is doing something, and he, we've been called to it, Right? And there's something empowering about the book of Acts that, that uh, reminds us what it is that we are here for. And so really, you'll notice that we started a couple of, for the summer, we did the names of God. And you'll see why it's so important that we start with God. There's really nothing, no good acts start without God first. <laughs> and then last uh, two weeks, we did this uh, two-week series of truth and tolerance. So, so important that we really have a lock on those two things to be able to build the kingdom in the way that God wants us to. So if you missed any of those, I invite you to go to our website, funchurch.com. Um, you can find them there under sermons, uh, all of those messages, or you can uh, subscribe to the channel, I think, that Zach has on, what is it, iTunes and all those other places that you could listen to. But uh, to get up to speed of some of the ways that we're really trying to build the kingdom, we have to have the right heart and the right power. But we also have to build the kingdom, which is the book of Acts. So the book of Acts is not a standalone book. The book of Acts is uh, written by a guy named Luke. Uh, who Luke also wrote one of the Gospels. He was a, a Gentile. He was not Jewish. He was not a disciple of Jesus originally, not one of the, the 12 disciples. He came later on. Uh, he came to faith under the work of the apostle. He didn't really understand this whole concept of Messiah. He wasn't waiting for a Messiah. But Paul came and, and shared the Gospel with him. And Luke wanted to make sure that it was real. Right, That this was not some fairy tale that he was going to give his life to. And it was a hard thing to become a Christian, especially in the first century world. And so what he does is Luke um, goes about and he investigates the faith. He goes, he travels back to Jerusalem, he travels back to Israel, he, he, gives, he, he checks out with eyewitnesses uh, the accounts of the resurrection. He talks to the people that were raised from the dead and had their leprosy taken from them, right, and were healed. He talks to them and their communities. He goes and investigates these things, and he writes about it in, in the Gospel of Luke, his, his purpose of, for doing all of this and why he wrote these Gospels. And he starts the Gospel of Luke, and he says this, Many have undertaken a drop an account of the things that have been fulfilled amongst us. He's talking about the Gospel, that Jesus fulfilled the, all these the covenants and, and all this. He says, a lot of people have written about that. He's talking about the, the different Gospels that have been written. 
Matthew and Mark. And he says, and, um, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. It's like our faith wasn't based upon hearsay, right? These were passed down to us. But he's like, but for us, it's still secondhand knowledge. Right? I've heard this. I heard it from credible people, from eyewitnesses. But Luke takes it to the next step. He says, with this in mind, he says, and since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, he talks about he went back, carefully investigated, did the work to make sure that all, everything checked out, all the facts, all of the miracles checked out. He says, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. That's the purpose. He wants us to know that our faith is, is real, that, the, that Jesus is not some fairy tale. He didn't just make these things up. He really lived. He really did miracles. He really fulfilled the, these things. He talked to those who were there. He really died, and he really rose again. And so we can have certainty of this, because unlike Luke, we can't go back to Jerusalem now and, and interview the eyewitnesses, because they're dead. But he could. And so through the Holy Spirit... God enabled Luke to go back and to write these things down. And he starts with the Gospel of Luke. And the Gospel of Luke, he wrote on a giant scroll, and he writes down exactly what happened in the life of Jesus. If you want to know what happened, what happened in the life of Jesus, you read the Gospels. And Luke is a great one to start. It's an orderly account. He tells very chronologically what happened, what did Jesus do. Right? And everything he writes there, he has vetted. He's backed up. He understands. So the Gospel of Luke has risen again. Jesus fulfilled his work, and that's what the Gospel of Luke shows. And then, that's not the end of the story. And so then Luke continues on, and he writes then what we now know as the book of Acts, which is just the second half of the Gospel of Luke. And it picks up from there, and it explains how the church then goes from Jesus being risen, and there's only a, a, you know, a handful, a several hundred followers of Jesus at the time. How does it go from that? to expand to the point that we find the faith in every part of, of the known world. How did it grow? And so the book of Acts is a story of us. It's the story of the church, and he was part of it. What, what Luke writes in the, in the book of Acts, a great majority of it, he was an eyewitness to these things. And if you want to see how God builds a kingdom, this is where we look. And so we'll be studying the book of Acts these next nine weeks. It's a big book, so we're going to only cover the first nine chapters, and then we're going to do two other sections later on this year. Uh, the first section we're calling that a new kingdom come, and there's a lot of new things that God gives us in this kingdom. Now, for this series, this first part, our memory verse for this series is going to be Acts 1.8, which says, this is Jesus speaking to us, by the way, to the disciples. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we'll describe that a little bit more today and through the next nine weeks. But first, we want to make sure that we set this to our hearts. So what we're going to do is just say it along with me a few times. Here we go. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Acts 1.8. Oh, so good. This week. We'll be talking about how does this make a difference for us. Uh, called the uh, Great Commission is the Acts version. We have another one in Matthew we'll, we'll look at today. But it's a mission. It's a new mission that Christ has given us. So if you have your Bibles, let's take a look at that. Um, it's going to be in the, the Gospel, or the Gospel, which is the Gospel of Luke, Part 2, Book of Acts, Chapter 1. It's on page 758 if you have one of our Bibles. If 
you forgot your Bible, you need one, we have plenty of them in the back, a little bookshelf back there, and if you need a Bible, just keep it, our gift to you. Now, like I said, as we go into this, as you're turning there, this is uh, after Jesus has risen, uh, risen from the dead, and uh, this is what we're going to do as we cover this. First thing we're going to do is I'm just going to give you a summary of the chapter, and then we're going to focus in on just an area of it, right, because you don't want to stay here all day while we every single part of this, but we'll focus on an area, and then we'll have some application. How does this make a difference in our life? And so, so the big story of this is what it starts with, we, we read, you'll recognize that this is the time that Jesus was there, and he'd been wa- uh, with the apostles or disciples for 40 days. So it, Jesus didn't just show up. It's not like he rose, resurrected, and he saw the people in the distance and said, hey, I'm here, and then left. Because one of the criticisms of the faith, sometimes people say, well, Jesus didn't really didn't rise from the dead. And one of the things that they say that he didn't rise from the dead is they think that the apostles really believed that he rose from the dead, but they mistook him for somebody else, like somebody else that looked like Jesus. They kind of saw at a distance, and they're like, oh, see, Jesus did raise from the dead. And, but they hadn't, those people that have that criticism haven't read the gospel. They haven't read Acts. As Jesus was there for 40 days. It's over a month. Have you ever had a house guest for 40 days? Right? You, you, it's more than just a passing glance. You know that they are there. So Jesus had been with them for 40 days. And during that 40 days, some things occurred. And so one of the things that happened, is that we have this, uh, the apostles begin to ask Jesus about the next step. What are your plans? Right? You did this, like the apostles were like, you did this whole thing, kind of took us for a loop. You took a left turn when we were expecting a right. You died on a cross and you came back. Didn't see that coming, right? But we know that you're the Messiah, right? So what are you doing next? That's what their, their thing is. Is this the time that, that we get what we expected? And so Jesus listens to them and then he gives them a new mission. And he says, all right, uh, you want something to do? Here's the mission. And then what they do is they take that mission, and then they go back, and then they, they select a replacement for Judas. Now, here's why they did that. Um, Judas messed up, right? He sold out Jesus for silver. Even though it's prophesied, he did it. And the apostles said, um, we need another disciple, right? We need a replacement. So there were some other followers of Jesus. They picked their, their favorite two, and then they said, well, we'll leave this up to God. And so they rolled some dice, and comes the, the next 12th disciple, right? And that's what they do, and that's where the, the chapter ends, <laughs> So let's, talk, let's focus in then on this mission that we get in the middle of it as we, we read this. So in verse 4, we're going to start. And it says here in verse 4, it says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, that's Jesus, he gave them this command. Now, I love this. It was one occasion. There was lots of occasions where Jesus was there. Okay, It wasn't just that Jesus, you know briefly passed by once. No, there was a lot of occasions. And on one of those occasions where Jesus was there with them, he was doing something, eating. Now, this is also important because this means that our faith isn't based upon just kind of the spiritual, oh, I felt like he was there with us in spirit. No, spirits don't eat, right? If you, if you give a, a candy bar to a ghost, it's just going to fall right through them, right? That's just the way that it goes. But Jesus was eating. He was truly resurrected because people with bodies eat food. And Jesus was eating. It also lets us know that they had an intimate conversation with Jesus. It was not that they just thought that they saw him from a distance. No, they were eating. They were having dinner together, right? So think about when you have lunch with somebody, you typically know who it is that's across the, the, the table from you, right? I mean, I have never, ever gone out on a date with my wife. I said, oh, this is somebody that I know really well. And I invite my wife out for, for lunch, and then I get there, and there's somebody who I kind of think looks like Amy, and then we sit down and have dinner together, and at the end of it, I'm fully convinced that she's my wife. That, is, that will never, ever happen. 
right? Jesus was eating with them. They were sitting there, they were talking, they knew who he was. And after 40 days, they were fully convinced that he was not, you know, just part of this meal, right? Jesus does something that was, they didn't expect either. It says that they're part of this, this dinner, and this is one of the times what they were eating with them, verse 4, he gave them this command. But Jesus started telling them what to do. Now, notice that Jesus is, is showing that he's got authority. Like, if somebody doesn't have the right to tell you what to do, you're like, uh-uh, you can't command somebody. But Jesus is showing he's got authority. He says, I'm going to tell you what you need to do. This is a command, not a suggestion. And this is the command from the risen Savior to his disciples. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father had promised, which, I, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Two-part command. First thing is, go back to Jerusalem and wait. Second part, receive the gift, right? That's really what the, we're supposed to do. Now, not a bad command, except for you think about the disciples. They're thinking, I want to go. I want to go and do something, right? They had waited all this time, the three years living with Jesus. He dies. They didn't expect that. He comes to want to see the kingdom built, right? They want to go and do. They, they recognize that, that this is the, maybe the time. They're not in the mood or to wait, but God says, wait. I think in doing this, God is showing them something, that it's the kingdom is not built by them. He says, you're going to wait, and you're going to receive a gift. You can't build my kingdom. You can't do anything. There is no mission for you until you receive this first portion. It's on my time, and it's on my power. For us, I think sometimes the hardest answer to prayer we get is wait, isn't it? We want to move. We see that there's something that we feel that God should be doing. We see a need that we want, to, we want to build God's kingdom. We want to be faithful. We want to see Him glorified. And we pray and we pray and we say, God, now I want to do it. And sometimes God says, wait. And we need to. It's not a suggestion because we're not going to force His kingdom and we can't build it on our own. So the disciples, the first thing God says to them, Jesus says to them, is the first thing you need to do is not do something. You need to go and wait on me. And then, the second part, you need to receive this gift. Now, it wasn't a new gift, right? It was a gift that Jesus had, had talked to him about before. He said, you've heard me talk about it. Where? Where did Jesus talk about this gift? Well, in the Gospel of John, chapters 14 through 16, if you want to check that out, we'll be um, actually speaking about that next week. Jesus spends quite a bit of time speaking about the Holy Spirit and who he is and what he's going to do. Right? So Jesus had, had already told them, listen, there's the Holy Spirit's coming. And now Jesus said, this is the time. You're going to receive this. And, and you know what he's about. You know what he's going to do. And so wait for him. And you need to receive that gift when it comes. And so they do. Now, in order for the disciples to really kind of get the idea of, of what the Holy Spirit was going to do, Jesus then draws an analogy. Talks about these two baptisms. He says, uh, he says first... Uh, he says that John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, baptized means immersed. This means completely submerged in, like surrounded by, right? That's the thing. And he says, John baptized with water. And he says, it's like this. This gift that, that you're going to receive from my Heavenly Father is going to be similar to what you received in John. And yet it's going to be different because he shows some, 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 some differences in there. But they understood that there is there's what it means to be baptized, this, this fresh start, this, this opportunity. They said, you're going to receive this. Now, the two, the baptisms that he, he shows, that there are going to be some similarities and the differences, of course, is John's baptism. And, and the first thing is he notices or he, he mentions that John baptized with water. But this next baptism that they're also going to receive is not going to be water. It's going to be a spiritual baptism. 
right? So there could be one's physical, one's spiritual. The other one, he says, John's baptized as a, as a baptism of repentance. That's what John did. And repentance means that I'm going, I'm, I'm dying to myself, basically. I'm following, I'm changing the way that I lived my life. So the people of Israel were saying that uh, as they were being baptized by John, that we repent, we we're stop living our sinful ways and we're gonna follow God. It was a baptism of faith. And the Holy Spirit would then would be different. It's a baptism of fulfillment. It's a promise kept, where you see that John's baptism was a promise made. We also see that John's baptism was, was for washing. It was in water, right? And the concept, the Jewish understanding of, of baptism is as, as a ritual washing. It's one of the reasons that they would be immersed in there right, to, as a way of washing away sins and all that whole concept that, that, that people would understand where the Holy Spirit was not a baptism of washing, of removing of things. It was a baptism of filling, right? The Holy Spirit will come and fill you. And then we also see that John's baptism was a baptism of preparation. It says in Scripture that God sent John the Baptist to prepare the people for the Messiah. And so John's baptism was to prepare people's hearts for the Messiah. So we're going to follow God's ways, even if we don't understand them, right? It was a baptism to prepare us, but the Holy Spirit was a baptism of power. The time had come, right? It's, it's game time. That's, that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so he says, they, so you understand for the apostles to recognize when the baptism come, the purpose of it. It would be similar to John's baptism, but very, very different. John's baptism was to get ready for the call. This one is for the mission. And so then they have the mission. Right? So then Jesus says, you're going to receive this. What are they supposed to do? They ask the question, well, then what's the mission? You'll see there, because Jesus said, you're going to receive this power. They've already, Jesus already told them what the Holy Spirit was going to do, so they had that in mind. And they ask him, they said, okay, if it's go time, then they said, well, then, Lord, is this the time that you're going to return the kingdom to Israel? Is this, is this mission accomplished, Jesus? Are you finally now, you're going to give us the Holy Spirit, right? You're going to be doing this. Is this the time that you're going to, your kingdom, the Messiah, is going to take over the world like we've been waiting for? Because they had expectations for what the Messiah was supposed to be and what he was supposed to do, and Jesus didn't really fit what they were expecting, which is one of the reasons they crucified him. And so their question was, okay, we didn't see how you're going to do that, but is now the time? Are you going to build your kingdom? See, the, the Jewish concept, what they were looking for a Messiah, was a Messiah who would restore the golden age, right? It was going to restore the kingdom of Israel, right? At that time, remember, run by Gentiles. And so they were expecting a Messiah to be like the Maccabees who kicked out the, you know, the Greeks. They were expecting the, the Messiah to come and to be one like Solomon who would build a mighty and glorious kingdom where all the nations of the world would come and be blessed by it. They were expecting a physical kingdom, an earthly kingdom the Messiah would build. And they said, is now the time? Are we ready to overthrow Rome? Is now when you're going to do this? Is that's why you're giving us the power of the Holy Spirit, right? And it's not that their expectations were bad. But Jesus, they were asking, is this now mission accomplished? And Jesus, look how he answered them. He says, well, it's not a political kingdom. He says, Jesus answered, you have a new mission. This is not the time for mission accomplished. This is the time to accomplish the mission. And so he goes and he says to them, it's not for you to know the times, the dates the Father has by, set by his own authority. Right? So they're asking, is the mission accomplished? Jesus said, trust God. This is not for you. Our place is not in that. But he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And, 
And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's the mission. It's not time to sit back and let God's power come and he's going, Jesus is going to become an earthly king. That was too small. Their concept was, remember, look what they asked. Are you going to restore Israel? Have you looked at Israel on a map of the globe? It's tiny. Their thought was one small people being redeemed. Are you finally going to do this? And Jesus is like, oh, there's a different mission for you. The first thing they have to recognize is that it can't be their mission. It has to be God's. This is not for you to know the times, the dates, all this kind of stuff, right? You've got to stop trying to, to make up your own plan as to what you think that God wants to accomplish. You just trust God's plan. And you've got to be faithful. Trust God to do his part because God, Jesus, is saying, I'm trusting you to yours. You're going to be my witnesses. And you're going to be witnesses in a whole new way. There's a new mission that they had. As disciples, they, they, had, they, had, they had this mission to follow Jesus, to follow the Messiah. You ever wondered why in Scripture, in the, in the Gospels, they're called disciples, and then when we get to the book of Acts, we call them apostles? You ever wonder, same guys. You ever wonder why the difference? Well, a disciple is somebody who follows somebody else, right? So Jesus is, is plowing the ground, right? And they're following Jesus. They're just following what Jesus has to say, what he does as a disciple. An apostle is, is a pioneer. That's what it means. It's a person that plows new ground. You see, they were given a new mission. Their first part of it was to be a disciple, was to follow Jesus, to learn what he had to say, and then to think too small. You want my kingdom to only be Israel. Uh-uh-uh. We're going to start with Jerusalem. And then we're going to move out to Judea. And Judea was still part of the same country, still Jews and all that kind of stuff, right? So, so it's going to be all through this whole area. But then Jesus blew their mind. And he says, oh, but it's going to be bigger than that. It's also going to be Samaria. Well, the Samaritans... They were kind of Jewish. They were like, had some Jewish heritage and a little Jewish blood in them, but they were also, they were not uh, pure. And so the Jews and the Samaritans didn't like each other. We think of like Jews and Palestinians today. There was not a lot of love lost between the two of them, right? They, and so Jesus says, wait a second, my kingdom is going to go even to Samaritans, which would have been really hard. And a lot of Jewish people would have drawn the line there and said, no way, you can't include them in your kingdom. But Jesus said, yeah. But, but then he goes and it just says something that seems completely crazy. He says, oh, yes, and then to the end of the earth. That, that includes all the Gentiles. Those are the people who aren't even part Jewish. I imagine a Jewish person might be able to say, well, okay, I could see you're gracious, and then because you loved Abraham so much, maybe you'll put up with the Samaritans, so you're going to save them too. But the Romans? You've got to be kidding me. And all those other pagans that lived outside of Rome that we call barbarians, them too? Yeah. So Jesus shows them that their concept of his kingdom was far, far too small. He wasn't just going to restore Israel. He was going to restore his kingdom, his reign in this world. And he's going to send them out as pioneers. A new mission, something that they've never had before. Now think how crazy this would seem for them. Because when Jesus was walking in this world, geographically, how big did the gospel extend? Israel. That's about as far as it got. I mean, a little bit in Samaria, a little bit, but mostly just that area. So now Jesus is saying, you're going to take my teachings, and you're going to go way further than I have ever walked with you. And then Jesus does something amazing, as then he ascends right before their eyes. To them, this would be 
Crazy thought. They have a handful of people. They live in a town where people are trying to kill them. Right? They're terrified. They don't have any power. They have any political clout. And all of a sudden, Jesus leaves and he says, and you're going to be more successful in, 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 in spreading my kingdom than I was even when I was with you. It would have been crazy talk. Twelve people or a handful. Take the gospel to the ends of the earth. The Romans hadn't even gone to the ends of the earth. We knew that there was boundaries for the Romans. They started building walls because they couldn't go past those. Jesus is to the ends of the earth. This is crazy talk. And yet, the story in the kingdom still is growing today. Now, when they go and they take the gospel, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, what are they going to do? Well, Jesus explained that in Matthew 28. This is also called the Great Commission. This is less geographical, this strategy, but this is how it's done. This is what it means to when we go. In Matthew 28, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Right? I'm boss. Right? And he says this, Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then teach these, uh, them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This is what they're to be doing when Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is what they're supposed to do. Jesus already explained this to them. They just didn't know the strategy. It starts at home first. Because here it says to go to all the nations, but it starts at home. And he says, you're going to start here. And what are they going to do? Well, in the Great Commission, since we don't speak Greek and it's, this looks a little different, it's kind of hidden in there, but there is one imperative verb. There's one command, one command. And there's not four. Like we think this, go, make disciples, baptize, uh, and then teach. There's only one. There's only one command, and the only one command in the Greek there is make disciples. Everything else describes how it's done. The disciples are to make disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. How are they supposed to do that? Well, the first thing, they have to go. It starts there, right? They have to actually go into the dark world, into those deep waters, into the unknown. They have to be pioneers, They have to go to people who aren't seeking God and and show them God's love. They have to go. And when they're there, they're supposed to go with intention because they're to then baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. See, going requires tolerance, doesn't it? That's why we talked about tolerance last week. Because we're called to go to people that are very different than us. A lot of people who don't like us, who don't think like we do, who don't dress like we do, who, who come from different backgrounds, all that kinds of stuff. And we're supposed to love people that are very different enough, even our enemies, we have to tolerate out of love. But as we go, we also go in truth. We're to actually, there's a purpose while we're going to make disciples of Jesus, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You have to be a believer to be a disciple of Jesus. And so the baptism is bringing them to faith. And when it says we're saved by grace through faith, Scripture talks about we're supposed to express our faith and belief and confession, repentance and baptism. We're supposed to express our faith. It's to bring somebody into the kingdom. And as they come into the kingdom, as they express their faith, then we're supposed to continue. We're not supposed to make converts. Jesus didn't say, make converts by going and then baptizing. He said, make disciples. We go, we baptize, and here's the last part, which is the most fun. Isn't it? Is anybody here perfectly obeying Jesus in all things? Everything he commanded? Good, because if you raise your hand, I would say, you're a liar. (laughs) That's what we do. We grow in the faith. And so we're supposed to go, and we're supposed to grow in our faith. And as we grow in our faith, we help others come along. And then notice Jesus said in, in Acts 1.8, we're to be his witnesses. Witnesses are people that tell what they have seen, what they've experienced, right? An eyewitness is not somebody who heard hearsay about something. 
and somebody who experienced it themselves and say, I can speak with authority because I've experienced it. That's why we listen to them. Being a disciple of Jesus, when somebody's come to you, you know what that's like. When somebody brought you to faith, you've experienced being saved by God's grace through faith. You've experienced it. Now you can speak with authority. What was it like? Maybe it was when you were a child. Maybe it was an adult, but you've experienced it. But then also, learning to obey Christ in all things. You experience the freeing power of Christ in your own life. The longer we walk with Jesus, the more we're able to see him and what he does in our life and how it helps us. This is the word of our testimony. You're not supposed to go out and make disciples on my testimony. You can't say, well, my pastor, you know, he experienced Jesus this way. You go and say, this is how Jesus has affected me in my life. This is what I found it says about him in the word. This is what he does. This is my experience, my testimony. I'm a witness to these things. In Revelation, where it talks about how the enemy, the evil one, Satan is defeated. It says that, that we, the church, will overcome by two things, by the blood of the Lamb, that is the power of Christ's sacrifice, and the word of our testimony. The blood of Christ is always powerful. It's already broken the back of Satan. But our testimony has to be there as well. That is your testimony. And he says, you're going to go wherever you go, and there is no limit to where you can go. You've been called out to where there are no limits, and you need to bring your experience of Christ with you. You need to testify about what he's doing, what he has done. You don't have to go to seminary to be an evangelist. You have to be a believer. You have to have somebody who has experienced Christ. That's all you need. You may not be able to take somebody a mile into their faith if you've only walked a half mile after Jesus, but you can take somebody a half a mile. That's your testimony. That's what we need to do. That's the strategy. Now, here's the thing. I think a lot of times we get this. Because it's empowering. It gives us something to do, it's, right? We're a church on mission. We are people on mission, right? We are part of a kingdom that's on mission. And yet, if we're building this kingdom like it would be our kingdom, we would just go and do it. We would build a shop. We do things. It's under our power, our wisdom, our money, all that kind of stuff. This is how we're going to build the kingdom. And yet, the kingdom of God is different. So we haven't called to build a big church. Right? We haven't been called to build a following or a brand. We've been called to build Christ's kingdom. And Christ's kingdom is different than the kingdom of this world. Christ's kingdom is, is one that frees people. It sets dead people and makes them alive. It changes us from the inside out. It reverses the corruption that began in our heart and our life because of sin. It is a transformative kingdom, and none of us have the power to, to build that kingdom. So how are we supposed to do this? Well, there's a part of the Great Commission, both of these, that Jesus was very sure to point out. And he says, you're not supposed to do this on your own. And sometimes we overlook it. But even on this one, it says, and surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. In Acts 1.8, it says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The power to build God's kingdom is not in our intellect. It's not in how savvy you are at sharing the gospel. It is not in how smart we are. It is this. It is God's power is what builds it. This is why we are not afraid of the dark. Because the dark can be scary. Now, I want you to think about, to say, well, is our culture too lost? Is it too anti Are we post-Christian enough that, that, that people can't be saved, that there's no hope? Let me encourage you with this. The book of Acts begins in the most anti-Christian environment imaginable. It was in the very town that they executed Jesus. That, by definition, is the most anti-Christian place ever, Right? And it was only just a little over a month earlier 
The entire crowds were in that town screaming, crucify him, crucify him. I would say that's a difficult environment. And the gospel began there. Jesus didn't say, you will build my kingdom in Rome, and then you're going to come back to Jerusalem. He said, you're going to start here, which is one of the evidences that our faith is real. It is an absolute miracle. The church began and expanded so quickly in Jerusalem. In the very place, if Jesus was dead, people could have gone and looked at his tomb and said, it's a lie. But they couldn't because he rose again and he walked around for 40 days and they said, we saw him. It's true. You could start at the darkest place. We don't have to be afraid of it because it's not your power. How many times are we silenced by the enemy of fear because we say, I'm not smart enough. My testimony is not good enough. I can't change this person's heart. It's too hard. It's not your power. You're building God's kingdom your way, and it's never going to work. You've got to wait. You have to have God's power. And when God's power, anything is possible, and he can transform any society. He can turn Jerusalem from the most anti-Christian place within one generation to the most Christian. He can change anybody's heart. You will see in this gospel, in the book of Acts, you will see hard hearts. You will see terrorists' lives transformed so they become people who lay down their lives for other people so they can become Christians. You can see people who were broken, who were given their lives to sin, who were transformed so fundamentally that, that they are legend now and we name our children after them. You will see how God works because his kingdom is not a joke, but it is not our power. And when you get that, you stop being afraid. We have nothing to fear. You understand, Estes Park, this is our mission, right? This is the first place. We say saturate the valley because we've been called to this valley. We start here. You have neighbors and friends. You have coworkers, right? We, we live here, don't we? I think it's amazing. We understand the opportunity that God has given us. When we say we saturate the valley with the gospel of Jesus Christ, you understand that we are less than three days away from having that happen? You think about where Christians are in this community. People have had a testimony. People have an opportunity. They've experienced Jesus in their life. I don't think there is one human being that lives in Estes Park right now that doesn't have a connection with, with a Christian, with a believer in Jesus Christ. There's not one. No one is unreached. But there are so many that live here today that haven't heard testimony. We are so close. There is no excuse to not have mission accomplished. But we have to do it in God's timing and His way. So we can do it in the wrong way and we can just take our Bible and go to all those people and say, well, you're going to hell, here's the four spiritual laws so you can go to heaven, right? We're never going to change hearts. God changes hearts. Which is why we have to start with this, with God. I always say, evangelism, before you ever, ever, ever begin to go out, we have to pray. We have to recognize, claim the land that is Christ's. Claim the people and say, God loves them. That's why I will love them. I'm not going to love them just because I get a notch in my, you know, in my belt and say, oh, I made another disciple for Jesus. No, God is changing lives. He's saving people because he loves them. So pray for them. Pray for his work and his power to be available in their life so that he can transform their heart. Prepare them to hear the gospel. The first step of evangelism is always prayer. And we pray for people and we do not give up because it is not you. And when I pray for opportunity, this is what I pray. I pray for the person, for God to change their heart. Then I pray for opportunity to share my testimony. And then I pray that God will make me aware of that when it happens and give me the courage and the words that I need. Because sometimes you think, Aaron, you're really good speaking on stage. Some of you might say that. <laughs> I get one-on-one, -on -one, I get flustered. I'm better in crowds. But God gives what has done for me at the right time. I have to wait. I've got to trust him. 
when he gives me the opportunity, I'm asking him for it, and he does, he answers those prayers, then I have to act. And when, I, when God is at work, and I'm following God in this, it's amazing what God does. Now, sometimes it takes a while, but God always acts. And we see what happens as he gets this new mission. And then Jesus does something again that they weren't expecting. It says that he, verse 8, <laughs> he takes off. I mean, Jesus, he leaves. It says he ascends right before their eyes. And as he's ascending, they're, 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 the disciples are like, wait a second, um, where are you going? He just gave them the hardest assignment ever, save the world, and then he ascends. And the disciples, I love what it says what they're doing. They're just looking up intently into the sky, not just kind of like, they're like looking intently, like, what just happened? Is he coming back? I don't know. And then these angels show up, and they says to them right away, I love this, it says, while they're looking intently, in verse 10, it says, two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking to the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. He's coming back. Your job is not to look and wait. Your job is to work. That's what they were saying. And I love angels, man. They get down to business, don't they? Like Jesus had just taken off. They were still seeing like his his soles of his feet, right? They're watching him. They're like, what? And the angels are like, get busy because he's coming back. He told you what to do. Why are you standing around waiting? So the disciples, they get back. They go to Jerusalem and they start getting busy to prepare themselves for the work that God has them do. That's what they do. See, right here we see that Jesus' work was done. He had done exactly what he would call to do, what the Scripture is called to do, and now was the time for the work of God the Holy Spirit. Now is the time of the work for, for God's kingdom. Now it was established, Jesus established it. Now it was time for the kingdom to expand. And we have been given the great privilege of being part of that. We have been given a mission to accomplish. Time of the kingdom have begun. And so what do we do? How do we apply this particular passage, this chapter? There are three things I think we can look to that might help us. The first one is this, is that our mission is to build a spiritual kingdom. I think oftentimes Christians, we get, this, we get sidetracked and we start to build a physical kingdom. So we do it in physical ways right? We try to build a kingdom like other people build companies or like they build nations, things. This is not God's kingdom. God's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, and therefore it needs to be built in a spiritual way. It's a much bigger kingdom, right? It's to build one that, that ignores physical boundaries. Oftentimes, we think that people who should be in church are the people that are like us. Isn't that the way that we say it's easier for us to reach people like us? And so the church should be for people that are like us, people that have a good sense of morality, people that have mostly their life together, right? People that that we can understand. That's where the the kingdom of God should be. And I'll tell you, Jesus said, blew the lid off of that. He said, go to Samaria, go to the ends of the earth. That there is not one person that's outside of his jurisdiction. There's not one person that is beyond the, the reach of his grace, We've got to stop looking and say, where's our market share? We've got to start looking at this world and say, it belongs to God and he loves people. He loves everybody, people that are like us and people that are not like us, but they all deserve the gospel. It means that there are going to be people that we're going to reach with the gospel who have unsavory lives, that are broken, that don't match what we think belongs in church. But God said, go to them, they belong in my kingdom, reach them. That's what it means. 
We've got to stop looking at our culture and say, this is the area that people deserve love and these people don't. Mm-mm. Jesus died for everybody. And he says, go to them. I might be in the darkness, but don't be afraid. I'm with you. Do it. And he's called us there. It dissolves. It, it, it ignores nationality. It ignores language. It ignores socioeconomic status. Jesus has called us into a kingdom which you will not always feel very comfortable in at first. But it's not about your comfort. It's about his glory. And he bought it and he said, go. And you want to see what it's like because the church wrestled with this really bad. It was a hard wrestle. You read the book of Acts because his kingdom is huge and is so much, so much bigger than we could have ever imagined. We have to get beyond ourselves so we can get out into the world to love people that God loves. It is a spiritual kingdom, so don't build it like, like an earthly one. And it doesn't act like an earthly kingdom either, by the way. The kingdom of God is not like, uh, like the things that we have. You know the earthly kingdoms that we have? We have, we have armies, we have borders, don't we? That's the way that works. It should work that way. Jesus said, I own it all. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. There's not a stop for you. Now, as Americans, we have to look at this too. We oftentimes put a secular and a sacred divide, don't we? And the secular doesn't belong to God is what we think. Uh, uh, Uh-uh-uh, there's not a boundary. Jesus said, go. Wherever we are, that is his. He's been authorized by the highest authority ever, God himself, to be his witness everywhere. That is at home. That is in the community. That is at work. That is wherever you are, you are his ambassador. You've been authorized and commanded to be there. But it also means that there are other barriers that we have. I think sometimes that we have areas in this community we think that God doesn't belong. There's areas that, that maybe those people are too far. Maybe the people that, I don't know, those that are, are meeting in, in anti-Christian book clubs, they belong to Jesus. God loves them. Do we have a voice? How about those who are in the bars? Who are owned by addiction are Christians, are we willing to reach out and to love them? Are we willing to reach out to the people that we don't understand but are still fully called to love? It is scary, but that's what we're called. There are no boundaries. It doesn't operate like a world kingdom. We are called to love. We are called to go boldly. Our kingdom is not like this world. It is a holy kingdom. That's what it means, different, set apart. Don't treat it like everything else. That's why the church is so special. It's not just one more thing you do. It's who you are. It's a holy kingdom, so let's keep it holy. Second thing we have here, it's our mission. is a spiritually powered mission. If it's a spiritual kingdom that we are building, and everybody has a spirit, we have to recognize that it's a spiritually powered kingdom as well. This is not going to be built on our own effort. It's not our own steam. It's not by having just the best programs or the best ideas, right? I think oftentimes churches, we, we, we lose sight of this. And we can grow a brand, but we can't grow the kingdom. We can't transform hearts and lives. Only God can do that. Only God can take dead people and make them alive. Only God can take brokenness and heal it, right? Only God has a transforming power. We're not about church growth. We're about kingdom growth. We have to be very clear on this, which means that we have to begin with inviting God to do his part. One of the best things that we can ever do is to start praying. If you want to reach somebody you love with the gospel, pray for them. It says in Scripture we're supposed to even pray for our leaders and those in authority. 
At the time that was given, the leaders and those in authority were horrible murderers. They were killing Christians and were doing awful things. And you know what God did? He changed the government. And he actually made, it took a couple hundred years, he worked, and he made that government, believing government, Christian. Do not put a limit on God's power. We have to pray. God will not impose his power upon us. So ask him by praying for our community. Not that God would grow this church, but he would grow his kingdom in this community. That God would, would enable and empower people to step away from darkness and find hope in life. Are you sick and tired of finding people committing suicide? Are you sick and tired of seeing families destroyed by divorce? Are you sick and tired of seeing people owned by addiction? Are you sick and tired of seeing neighbor turned against neighbor because of political differences? Are you sick and tired of seeing the death and destruction the enemy has waged? Then take his kingdom away from him. Get out there and love people and trust God. We have to start with him and say, God, fight this war. You've got to remove him. We have to be first a people of prayer. He's going to empower us, but also trust this, that God is the one that works so we don't lose heart. I have never brought somebody into the kingdom of God by out-debating them. It doesn't mean I haven't out-debated people. I love debate. I've never brought somebody to the kingdom because I out-debated them. I've had the privilege of welcoming people into the kingdom because we've loved them, and we didn't give up. Some people I've prayed for for decades and I've shared the gospel when God gave me opportunity, and it was rejected, and it was rejected, but I don't give up because God doesn't give up. And I'll continue to pray, and I will be relentless in my pursuit of another person's soul because I care for them too much to give up on them. While they still have breath, there is still hope. And then sometimes we see God work in extraordinary ways and change a heart that we never expected. It is His work and His power, so we need to trust it. It also means that we don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be. It's not about how good you are, how smart you are. Are you just faithful? Do you have a testimony? And trust him. Third thing that we have that we find that is our mission is a present reality. This is not something that, that was just for 2,000 years ago. Are there still people around us that don't know the gospel? Are there still areas of darkness in our world? Yes. Are there still people who don't understand who Jesus is? Yes. Then go. This is our mission, and our Jerusalem is Estes Park, and our Judea and Samaria is going to be our region, and of course, the ends of the earth, we have a mission that we do with that as well. But are you starting at home? Start with those that you know, because Christ's kingdom is real. It's also invincible. It's unstoppable. It's good to be part of a winning team, right? It's like on Friday, we was on a football team. We won our first football game by two points. The last five seconds, it was awesome, and I will tell you, winning is so much more fun than losing. <laughs> You're on a winning team. The gospel expanded. It already took over Rome. It's already in every continent, spoken in every single language now. It's already growing. You are part of something huge. So be excited about that and let the kingdom now expand in your life as well. Also, recognize that Christ's kingdom, if it is there, it requires something. It requires you to do something. So what are those things that you can do? Well, if you take your connection card, I've got some ideas, some next steps. How do you begin joining in with God and this kingdom. On the back side here, it says, this week I commit to. I love that word commitment. I, we might change that at some point and say, this week I'm, this is what I'm going to do or whatever my next steps. I like that too, but there's something powerful about commitment. So I'm going to do this. God's kingdom is worth it. And it says this. Firstly, maybe it's memorize Acts 1.8. You know why? Because this is what we're supposed to do. right? If you want to have a task done, it's important to know what the task is. We should all know this. 
So I take this week and think about your Jerusalem. Pray for the people in your home community, in your Jerusalem and your Samaria. Those are the people who live here that you don't like. Pray for them too. How about the ends of the earth? Or how about this, this week in dish? Maybe what you do is you want to read the Gospel of Luke. How is it that we're supposed to help people grow in following Jesus if we don't know what Jesus did ourselves? The Gospel of Luke was written there so we would know for certainty who Jesus is and what he said and what he did. If you want to know what Jesus is about, what he taught, read the Gospel of Luke. Spend some time this week and remind yourself this is why we're doing this. This is who it is. This is the kingdom that we're part of. And it's a great adventure too. Or how about this? Maybe what you need to do is start praying. This is a spiritual kingdom, spiritually powered. begins with prayer. And so you commit to praying for three people. And so if you're interested in doing this, we had some bookmarks made, and they should be in the seat front pocket in front of you that are there, like a yellow or orange, I think, and it has got three slots for three different names. And it's a bookmark. And the reason we made it a bookmark is this. I want to challenge you for this next series, for the remainder of the series, to write down three names. You can ask God who, who you want you to pray for if, if you don't know. Write down three names and begin praying for them daily. Put that bookmark in your Bible and then beginning reading the book of Acts through it, right? So you can use that. So that way you've got time and you have a bookmark now so you don't have to look up where everything is in Acts again. You can just find it. But every day, be praying for them, for their salvation and for their good and for their blessing and for God's mercy on their life and for opportunity to love them and opportunity to share good things with them. Pray for them. I think you'll be shocked and amazed at how God works. He doesn't just work on their heart, he works on yours as well. But you say, you know what, I'm going I'm to pray for three. Or how about you're going to do is you're going to join us for the rest of the series. Because today you got the message, you got the mission, but you did get a whole lot of instruction. A little bit of instruction. There's a lot of new things that God adds, some tools and opportunities and things like this that helps us to build his kingdom, a kingdom of love and, and transformation. You say, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here for this, so we are on mission together. Make that commitment. Or maybe there's something else that God is uh, challenging you to do. Write that down. I will be praying for you. I'll support you in every way that I can on this. If there's another commitment, please let us know. And then in a minute, I'll ask, invite you to take these commitments that you've made, and let's drop them in the offering basket along with your tithes and your gifts, and uh, let's get busy. Let's start building the kingdom. Before we do that, let's pray. Let's pray for these commitments that we've made, and then we'll have the worship team come up. Father God, thank you. You are amazing. You are God Almighty. You are God Sovereign. You are uh, God who is merciful. You are God who heals us. You are God our Father. You are amazing. And you are true itself. You are what truth is based upon. And you loved us even when we didn't deserve it. So, Father, you've called us to love this world, whether or not we feel like people deserve it. You've called us to love both the lovely and the unlovely alike because you care for them. So, Father, I pray that you give us the ability to care for this community. Give us a heart for Estes. Give us a heart for our neighbors, for our family members who don't know you, for, our, for those that we work with. God, may we see this world through your eyes. In that, Father, we pray that you would do a work here, that you would change hearts and lives from death to life, that you would give us opportunity to testify about how great you are in our own life. And Father, that you would bring many that live around us to a saving faith, that, Father, to welcome them into your kingdom where you can set them free, bring them alive, and transform them from the inside out. You are truly worthy. Lord, we've made commitments today to help to be part of this. Guide us in this, Lord. Help us to be faithful in these things. Would you empower our work and bless it for the building of your kingdom? Father, we pray for our tithes and our offerings and our gifts. Lord, please 
Take these. Build your kingdom with them. And Father, as you do that, that I pray that you would receive great glory, for you deserve it. We pray this in the name of our King and our Savior, Jesus. Amen. And since you are here with us today, if you wouldn't mind, take out your bulletin. And there, there's a bunch of tools here for discipleship that you might find helpful. And uh, one of those things that you're going to find in there is going to be a green connection card. This helps us to connect and to pray for you and to follow up and make sure we're supporting you every way we can. So if you wouldn't mind, just take a few minutes and, and just jot down your name. Let us know that you're here. If any of your information has changed since we've seen you last, this is a great opportunity to update our records for us so that we can continue to make sure that we're caring for you the best that we possibly can. And so a new... Uh, address or email or phone number, or, uh, if you changed your name, I guess, that would be fine too. And uh, then on the back side, you'll see that there is a, uh, 
opportunity to write down your prayer requests. And we pray for you every week, and if we know how to pray for you, we, uh, that's, uh, we sure appreciate that. And it's been awesome to see how God has been answering prayers uh, here. Hasn't it been? Like, just some really great things. So throughout the message, you could take that opportunity, and then hold on to this card. Um, we're going to come back to it near the end of the message, and then you can drop this in the offering basket. Um, as it's